Hello and welcome back for A Reason for Hope. Is there a reason for hope today? Well, do you feel discouraged or sad or just not happy today? Well, there is a reason for hope. Why? Because we are chosen by the creator of the universe to be loved by him and he desires us to be in communion with him. So just think about this for a moment. Think of someone that you deeply love. It could be your spouse or uh, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a child, a friend, a parent. Come on, I, I want you to think about it. Think about them in your mind's eye. Close your eyes, but don't close your eyes if you're driving. I, I want you to reflect on their love and the affection that you have for them. And now think about our creator, the creator of the universe, who you can imagine would have at least equal affection and love for us since he created us. But the reality is that his love is millions of times greater. He loves us. Do you still feel hopeless today? I mean, I hope not. I'm glad you're listening. And and there are no coincidences. You are listening for a reason. We all need a reason for hope. Are you with me? Good. Amen. And I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I am super excited for us to be together today. And if this is your first time listening, welcome, and I'm glad you found us. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, and hit the share button. It really helps. Array of Hope is involved in many aspects of film, music, and events. And this podcast gives us an outlet to tackle deeper topics and subjects about our faith. Our guest today is Mary Rice Hassan. She is a beautiful soul, and I'm excited to share this podcast with you. And our theme today is male and female, he created them. And yes, our creator, our God, has a reason. And there's that word again. He has a reason for all things he creates, especially men and women. So welcome for A Reason for Hope. And here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back with Dave and I, Dr. David Heideck and myself. Uh, this is always fun because we kind of get to share the faith on specific subjects. And even catch up a little bit. And we even catch up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this is the catch up part. So I hear you kind of told me before we started speaking that there's big news in the Heideck home. What's going on, Dave? Yeah, so one of my daughters got engaged. Wow. Yeah, back October 4th, the wow. Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Wow, fact. beautiful. Yeah, so we're excited for her. Uh, we love the guy. And, uh, and of course, that they're in the midst of trying to plan, you know, like get the date. Get it's a big deal. All things, at least the, the basic things going. So, yeah, so, yeah so, so it's pretty exciting. It seems like love is in the air and people getting engaged is in the air, especially around Array of Hope. Yeah, about that. So we got Jack and AB are both engaged. Congratulations, guys. Yeah, wow. Our condolences, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> just, just joking. Just kidding. Yeah. It's a lot of, there's a lot of love in the air, a lot of excitement, which kind of is kind of perfect for our subject today, but getting ahead of myself, right? Yeah. That's good. <laughs> well, you know, look, since I kind of let the bird out of the bag, is that a saying? No. Well, cat's out of the bag. Oh. Cats out of the bag. Well, you know, I mentioned in other podcasts that I'm from <laughs> Italy, so we always do things a little bit backwards. And, and so, don't but, put your shoes on the table, though. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't understand. Or uh, actually, my mother. Always, what is the thing? My mother used to say, "Close the light." 
when you're supposed to shut the light, right? Mm-hmm. Close the light. So, and it's a whole other thing. So <laughs> anyway, so it's really wonderful that, you know, um, you know, people are still going for the sacrament of marriage and it's mm-hmm. beautiful and it's a wonderful sacrament. So it seems like a good time to discuss the complementarity of men and women. St. John Paul, our patron saint here at Array of Hope, wrote about this, especially in the theology of the body. So, Dave, maybe you want to share a couple things for us. Yeah, so the theology of the body is a catechesis on human love and the divine plan. And uh, it could be looked at as a extended commentary on the first chapters of the book of Genesis. Mm. Actually, the very passages that Jesus refers to when he talks about marriage in the Gospels. So, I think that we can glean a lot by looking at some key words in those opening passages and that really seem to emphasize this complementarity between um, men and women, between male and female. And uh, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, The first word I think that's important there is this word image. The Hebrew is selem. And it's a very interesting word. In Greek, the word would be icon, Mm. which is where we get the term icon from. Icons are seen as like spiritual windows or as bridges to the divine. And that's really powerful when you think about that in relationship to what it means to be the image of God, that that we're supposed to be a window into who God is and that we're supposed to be a bridge, if you will, uh, to the divine. Now, in the text, it's interesting because each, the man and the woman, are the image of God, and equally so. So this is like an important point, that that God is not male or female. God would possess in himself every perfection of masculinity and femininity, and of course, is not limited by them, even if he is father in relation to creation. So, So both the man and the woman are images of God, and they're equal in dignity. Um, So, as individuals, we image God. As persons, because they're both persons, they image God. And so, so what does it mean to be a person? It means that we have an intellect. It means that we have a will, that we're rational. Um, It means that we're capable of love. Um, And so, in this way, we image the Creator. Mm -hmm. Uh, And But it also indicates in the text that it's the union of male and female, that image God. You know, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. Uh, So, it's the union of the man and the woman that is the image of God. In fact, John Paul II in the Theology of the Body says that that man not so much images God at the moment of his solitude when he is alone prior to the creation of Eve, but, but really more at the moment of communion when the male and female join together. And why is that? Because the the man and the woman, blessed with the blessing of fruitfulness, image God as Trinity. They're a life-giving communion of persons in the image of the Trinity as a life-giving communion of persons. And so, so that's powerful that it's the family, the, the human couple, male and female, blessed with fruitfulness, that is that selim, Mm-hmm. That that spiritual window into the very mm-hmm. heart of God. To go on with that, the word for male and female, for man and woman in that chapter one, are zaher for the man and nekeva for the woman. Now, zaher actually denotes something that's sharp or has a tip. And nekeva 
actually means that which is perforated or punctured. Hmm. Wow. So what's interesting right off the bat about this is that um, the words that are used for man and woman are referring to biology. So, and there's already a sense that there's a complementarity between the bodies of men and women that are made to go together. And then they get blessed with the blessing of fruitfulness, which is the result or end of the union of their bodies. So, that's right there in the text. Now, more so, zahir is connected with this word to remember. But remembering in such a way as to initiate an action. So it's not just a thinking remembering, it's a remembering that that inspires one to act. So you see right off the bat that masculinity, that maleness is associated with initiating action. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of the woman being the one who's perforated gives this sense of like receptivity and welcome. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this 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 femininity associated with a receptivity, a, a welcoming of the other, and the masculinity associated with this sense of like initiating an action. And I think that we can see right there that there's a complementarity between the the male and the female in the text. Um, but that, but it's also key that you know the complementarity of men and women. This idea of masculinity and femininity is very much connected with biology. There's no distinction between gender and biological sex in the text. In fact, um, those things are, are connected and the same. In fact, in Hebrew thought as a whole, there was no distinction between body and person, only body and life. The body means the whole person. And this becomes all the more important when the two become one body, which would mean that It's more than the union of bodies. It's the union of persons. When you move to Genesis 2, there's different words associated with uh, male and female that are equally intriguing and informative. Um, Before God places Adam into a deep sleep and takes his rib and makes woman, there's a word that's used, ha-adam, to refer to the man. That's before there's male and female. Hmm. That's where Adam gets his name. Ha-Adam refers to the earth or the ground. Um, then when Eve is created, when the woman is created, the words for man and woman are ish and isha. Now, the man refers to himself with a new word. So, he actually renames himself. And the word he uses to rename himself is a relational word that's in relationship with the isha, which is, you know, so it almost gives this impression that now man has a new identity that is deeply interwoven with the existence of this other, this isha, Hmm. the woman. So it's, that's a powerful image that there's this connection and complementarity, this mutual fulfillment of our identity in the other. Um, So that's powerful. The words ish and isha also can be translated as husband and wife. So when God creates human beings and they're male and female, they're not any old man and any old woman. They're actually a husband and wife. They're a couple. And then the two become one flesh. And the word for flesh there is basar. And um, the word basar actually means also body. 
So this is uh, the two become one body. Interestingly, um, again, this is connected to sexual union, to the union of man and woman becoming one, you know, having these complementary bodies. And then, of course, the, the child being the two becoming one flesh in a very real and profound way. You see, it's, it's through the total gift of their bodies, which is the total gift of their persons, that a new person, a new somebody comes into being, right? Yeah. Um, so the union of, of the man and the woman speaks and it manifests in, a, in the, the form of a sign this complementarity and this union between the, the male and the female. Lastly, and I think this is an important part too, Eve was made eventually after the animals to find a suitable partner or a suitable helper for the man. Um, the words are azer kenegdo for that phrase, suitable helper. Uh, azer is this idea of, um, of helper, uh, but it really means the strong one. It, it, it denotes actually a rescuer or a savior. The woman is seen in the text as the one who saves the man. Saves him from what? From his aloneness, saves him, you know, uh, from being like turned in on himself. Isn't this true about women mm. in the life of men? Um, and uh, but also she gives him his strength. She's the one, the source of his strength. It's a very powerful image. Uh, the the second uh, Hebrew word actually refers to one who stands in front of as a complement or like as an opposite or corresponding to. And this is interesting too, because if you think about it in terms of a mirror image, if I were looking in the mirror, I would see that everything's on the opposite side, you see? And so this denotes that complementarity as well, that as a helper, um, what is that's a suitable helper, it's got to be the one that complements you. And this is not referring to, you know, personality traits, although maybe there's some truth in that. It's referring to the very nature of male and female, that, that the very nature of masculinity and femininity complement one another. And therefore, there, there's a suitable helper that, um, that, in a sense, does what I can't do and makes up for what I lack and, and is unlike me in all the, the right ways. It's this idea that opposites attract, but not just in personality, that opposites attract by nature as male and female. So Yeah, that's awesome. It totally makes sense that, you know, uh, the complementarity has been ordained from the very beginning, yeah. you know, why the sacrament of marriage is so powerful because there's so many levels of the complementarity, physical, emotional, the helper. I mean— God knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know, he, he and got- in our culture, we have a hard time with this. And I think that that's a shame. I think that there's been uh, obviously centuries of, of women being put down. Mm. That, um, and there's obviously also some, let's say, hyper generalizations about masculinity and femininity that are not helpful that are maybe more socially imposed than in our nature. But we can't let that paralyze us from telling the truth, and that is that, uh, that men and women are indeed complementary, that, that masculinity is a real thing, that femininity is a real thing, that, um, that our biology and our gender 
are are not at odds with one another. Yeah. And and that, you know, as a result, that there's this beautiful and harmonious symphonic relationship between men and women that is not monotone and drab. Um, that we're not the same and and yet um and yet we're we're different in all the right ways. I love that. Symphonic, yeah. not monotone. Those are good adjectives, Dave. Yeah, I knew you'd you, dig those. You've been, dig, you've been doing your homework. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great discussion. And I think it's w- well needed. I think people need to understand the beauty of God's plan and the complementarity between men and women. So thanks for uh, sharing. Great to be here. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Mariama here for Who's That Saint? where I give you three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Clue number one. Born in Poland on August 25th, 1905, this saint was recognized from her youth for her love of prayer, tender obedience, and sensitive nature to those in need. Who's that saint? Clue number two. At the age of 16, this saint felt a tug towards religious life. Eventually, she entered the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy on August 1st, 1925. Who's that saint? Clue number three. While in the convent, this saint had mystical experiences in which Jesus shared with her details of his divine mercy. Have you guessed this saint yet? That's right, I'm talking about the life of St. Faustina, the Secretary of Divine Mercy. What I love most about St. Faustina is her humility in facing the trials that she went through in trying to share the revelations that Jesus gave to her, and out of obedience since he was the one telling her to share his divine mercy with everyone. Many didn't believe her, and yet she humbly continued to press for this devotion out of obedience to our Lord. And because of this obedience, we now have the devotion to Divine Mercy, the Divine Mercy image, the Divine Mercy chaplet, which we pray every day on Instagram Live if you guys want to tune in. And we have Divine Mercy Sunday, which is the Sunday that follows Easter Sunday each year, which was instituted by St. John Paul II. I love St. Faustina, and I'm sure many of you do as well. So thank you for joining Who's That Saint? St. Faustina, pray for us. Hey, welcome back to the Music Corner. This is Jack, a Ray of Hope's audio and music production director. This episode, I would like to share with you another unreleased song. This is pretty cool, right? As part of our podcast audience, you're getting an exclusive look into the music we're making for Christ and His Universal Church. I want you to consider for a moment the person in your life that knows you better than anyone else. Perhaps it's your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, or even your best friend. If not any of those people, maybe it's you who knows you best. But is it possible for someone to know you better than you know yourself? Well, I think yes. Think of this. A painter who creates a masterpiece knows that masterpiece inside and out. Now imagine yourself as that masterpiece. You are conscious and you have the ability to know yourself. Yet there are moments of your life 
that you do not know yet, say your future. But there is someone who does know it, God, our creator. Because he created all of us, he alone knows perfectly who we are and who we could be if we only cooperated with his design for us and our good. So we wrote a song pertaining to this mystery of someone knowing us better than we know ourselves. The song is called, Because You Know Me. And in a way, it's a prayer to unite our wills to the Father's will so that we can become his beautiful masterpieces, revealing to the world around us the splendor of our God. Here's a sneak peek of Because You Know Me. some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short faith-filled segments, live events and programs. You've got to check it out. Go to your app store and type in Array of Hope. So our featured guest today, I'm very excited to bring you Mary Rice Hassan. She is the Kate O'Byrne Fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. She also directs the Catholic Women's Forum, a network of Catholic professional women and scholars seeking to amplify the voice of Catholic women in support of human dignity, authentic freedom, and Catholic social teaching. Mary is an expert on topics related to women, faith, culture, family, sexual morality, and gender ideology. Let's welcome Mary. So here we are with Mary Hassan. How are you, Mary? I'm great, Mario. Wonderful to talk to you. Yes, I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, you have a fascinating job and a fascinating uh, back, fascinating background, and uh, I want to really dive into that. And before before we do, though, I always like to ask our guests, you know, their sort of their faith journey, how they arrived to where they are today, maybe their background, how they were raised. Were you raised Catholic? Yes, and uh, fortunately, just blessed with a very strong Catholic family. And in fact, there's a book out that uh, was just published by Ignatius Press called Because of Our Fathers, which has a collection of stories from about 20 or 25 people about how their fathers influenced their faith. And one of my sisters and I have um, an article in there. So my needless to say, my dad was very instrumental in, uh, in giving us a strong faith. My mom, too. My dad was more the teacher and, but both of my parents really lived a very strong faith. And so we were blessed by that. And I, yeah, as I've reached adulthood and, and have worked in so many different capacities in the church, I realize just in many respects how extraordinary that is because 
I grew up in that age where there was very little catechesis, and yet because my parents were well-formed themselves, but also just very committed and very focused on that, they really made sure that they taught us the faith. Uh And, you know, so it it made a big difference and um, in terms, too, of just routines and habits of daily mass and praying the rosary and all those things that become the fabric of your life. Uh And it becomes a blessing, and that's what gets you through your own times when your faith seems so small or, or the circumstances so great and so difficult that, you know, that that's when the benefit of just that upbringing, but also the model of, of people who've walked that road before you becomes so important. Mm, how beautiful. So you were really right from the get-go, you were introduced to Christ and the Catholic Church, and it seems that you were uh, catechized and informed by your family. And uh, that's that's beautiful. That's uh, an oddity, uh, especially today, you know, um, because parents are not formed that well. And uh, so it was beautiful that you would do, you did that happen to you. Um, and I, I I guess I wanted to ask you, was there a time when you were, I guess when you were growing up, you kind of inherited this 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 faith through your family, but what, what, was there a time where you kind of experienced God or God touched you in a special way where you sort of felt him strongly or essentially fell in love with him? Was there any kind of pivotal sure. moment in your life or— yeah, I, I would say when I was in grad school and became involved in a, a prayer group and it just, and at the same time I met my, um, what was my husband-to-be, but but now my husband and just really focused on developing that personal relationship with the Lord. And and the the way I like to think about it is, is that I think my heart opened so God could touch me so I could, I could love him as my father, not just God the father. In other words, it became a very personal uh, personal relationship and the same thing in terms of my relationship with the Lord. It, it just grew in a personal sense. And, you know, I think no matter what background you come from, I think that is a step that every person needs to take. You can You can be given the faith, but at some point you have to turn and look the Lord in the eye and, and say, you know, you're my king and and... I'm going to live for you, mm. or or you look and you say, I, I I don't know what this is about, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to take the next best step, and and you start down your journey. But for each one of us, I, I do think there's there's a personal moment, and and like I said, I can I can think back to when my prayer life changed, when when I just sort of entered into a deeper sense of experiencing God as my father and and it just it makes all the all the difference in the world yeah i'm sure a lot of comfort a lot of peace right when you finally are able to uh, recognize that and, and feel that it's beautiful so you are the kate o'burn fellow at the ethics and public policy center can you share a little bit about kate o'burn and tell us a little bit about the center Sure. The Ethics and Public Policy Center is is a think tank in Washington, but we're kind of unique in the in that we have Catholic, um, Christian, and Jewish scholars who work on a variety of public policy issues. But but the purpose of of the think tank is to bring Judeo Christian ethics to bear on matters of public policy. So we try to we bring that faith perspective 
to whatever we're working on. And so I work in what's called the Catholic Studies Department, which I work with George Weigel, uh, Mary Fiorito, you know, a couple of others who focus particularly on issues important to the church, but also bringing the church's perspective out into the public square. And so the fellowship that I have, the Cato Byrne Fellowship, is is named for a woman who was very active in uh, conservative journalism, and she was editor of National Review for a while. Mm-hmm. But many people thought of her more as a political voice. And she, like me, she was an attorney, but she was also a mom. Uh, but really, she was a devout Catholic, and and she had it took great interest in encouraging the faith of those who were younger, who were up and coming, the priests she met, the Catholics in public life. And so that's something that, that I take to heart in the position that I'm in that, you know, trying to encourage the faith of others who are, who are out there, you know, in the, in the public square, so to speak, but also, you know, looking particularly for, for young women and, and ways to build them up and to, um, to help them find that path of living as an authentic Catholic woman and shaping the world and and being true to your vocation. Mm -hmm. Our theme today is male and female. He created them. And we're talking about God's plan for creating human beings, male and female, in his image. Can you share your thoughts on this with us? Yes. You know, I I think one of the problems of our Uh, well, really the past 30, 40, 50 years is that we've lost sight of who we are. And Mm -hmm. so I I think back, one of the pivotal moments for me as a a young adult was reading Mulieris Dignitatum, you know, the church's encyclical of John Paul II on the dignity and vocation of women. And from Vatican II and John Paul II's writings and then Pope Benedict and, and Pope Francis has also emphasize these same themes, we need to have a deeper appreciation of who we are as male and female, as sons and daughters of the Lord, but then realizing in that equal dignity, but in that difference, the complementarity of of one to the other, it's in working together that we're going to be so much more fruitful and accomplish so much more so that the church needs women's voices, women's insights, women's gifts in so many different ways. And I think of the, the typical parish I know, you know, it's women who are sort of the hands of the church who, who are who are reaching out and caring for people and, and just playing such a pivotal role. So one of the things that I think was unfortunate for the church was that in the aftermath of Vatican II, which coincided kind of with the emergence of, of feminism, you had a lot of uh, there was there was a tendency, I'd say, for some people to look and to say, well, are women, quote, equal in the church? And measuring that by whether women could do the same things as men. And that's a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what it means to be, first, equal in dignity, but second, to have your own vocation. So just as not every man is called to be a priest— Right, some mm-hmm. some men are, some men aren't. That doesn't make some some men better than others. Well, in the same way, the church says it's not not women are not called to be priests, but that doesn't mean women are sort of second class citizens. We have our own role in the church, mm-hmm. and so 
first of all, just embracing who we are as women and then saying, uh, you know, what, what do you want of me, Lord? And, and replying with, with Mary's fiat, you know, with her, her, yes. her prayer of the Magnificat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You shared a little bit uh, women's equality and dignity. Can you, can you share a little bit the importance of women's contributions to the church and society today? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it's interesting um, that almost all of the key questions that are sort of tearing apart the fabric of our culture in many respects, things to do with life, you know, the dignity of life, whether it's the unborn or the elderly or, or the, you know, the immigrant who's, who's coming in, the outsider, or marriage and, and the health of the family, the strength of the family. All of those things are issues that really touch women at the core. And I think in today's culture, it's more important than ever to have women stepping forward and being that voice of truth, not that we don't, we need our, our shepherds, you know, our bishops and our priests to be preaching the truth, but we need the voices of women stepping forward because so many of these issues are sort of billed as women's issues because of that cultural circumstance. It's so vital that Catholic women you know, really believing the truth and understanding how important it is to bring that truth to the culture, to share the gospel, but in particular to bring the light of the, of the truth onto these these contentious cultural issues. We need women to speak up so that you know some of these messages are only heard or heard better through the voices of women. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, you know how dogs hear Absolutely. a certain yeah. Spe- they, 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 they only hear certain things at a certain, That's certain right. mm-hmm. Well, in the same way, I, I think something's calibrated in our culture right now that the voices that are going to be heard on a lot of these issues that have the right pitch are going to be women's voices. And so, you know, frankly, I have met so many wonderful women in the church, women of all ages, who, whether they they had a strong background in catechesis growing up or whether they, they lived a life where God was really not much, much a part of things until they were like 65. And, and then, you know, he, he revealed himself and, and they responded. It's what's important is responding to God right now where you are and then having the courage to be that voice, whether it's to your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your people in your parish, the, the public square, Mm-hmm. But to be that voice of truth, women's voices are just incredibly important. So it's, you know, as Pope Francis says, it's not about function. It's not about a job description. It's about owning the gospel and being a voice for the truth and taking to heart what, you know, what our role is. And I, I think of Pope John Paul II in um, one of his, another one of his writings Christian Fidelis Laice, where he was, he was talking about the role of Christ lay faithful. And he said, in particular, women have two tasks. In particular, it doesn't mean we don't have others, but in particular, these are things that women need to do. And he said, women need to give testimony to the dignity and richness of marriage and family. Mm-hmm. And he said, at the same time, women need to shape the moral dimension of culture. 
And, and I look over the past 20 and 30 years, 40 years, and I think, you know, there's been so much of a kind of a moral decay. And I think part of that is that, that we women need to step forward and to shape that moral dimension. In other words, we have a role to play. We need to be out there doing this. And the culture is going to reflect how invested we are, how committed we are, and, and how much we, you know, we rise to that call. And, and do that, or whether we're just kind of, I don't know, content to think about other things. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah that's, that's, that's so true. Um, another focus of your work is the dangers of gender ideology and its cultural impact. Can you speak yeah. a little bit about that and about the importance of acknowledging that God created us male and female? Yes, and, and frankly, I think this is one of the huge challenges for the church right now where the, the very idea, the reality of the human person is under attack. Yeah. So there's this, this kind of cloud that is confusing people, especially a lot of Catholics. Um, and, and it goes by the label gender ideology. That's what Pope uh, Francis has, in his writings and speaking about it, he's been a very strong voice about this. At the same time, he's been very compassionate towards individuals who are struggling with, uh, you know, an, an LGBT identity and, and particularly transgender identities and, and things like that. He's been very compassionate towards the individual. And yet at the same time, he's unequivocal saying that this gender ideology, this denial of the reality of sexual difference is a global war on the family because it undermines the anthropological basis for the family. Now there's the family is mother, father, and out of their, their love comes their fruitfulness, which is a child if they're blessed with a child, but, but in other ways as, as well, that's the family, you know, the male and female. And I, a lot of Catholics, unfortunately, are, are sort of caught up in, in the cultural lies, one of which is that, well, sex isn't binary. You know, it really isn't just male and female. There are all these variations. And, and that's, well, just not true. And I think it can, um, I saw a, a survey that was done, I think it was by Pew in 2017, where they polled people of all different faiths, but then they broke down the results according to faith and asked whether people believe that who you are, your basic identity as male or female is fixed at birth or whether it can change to be something else. And nearly half of Catholics said they believed it could change. Wow. Okay, so they're, they're, they're not connected with the truth of biology and and they're not hearing the truth that the church has been teaching you know we're, we're familiar with male and female he created them that's in scripture but faith and reason go together and reason science tells us exactly what sex is sex is the body's organization towards a reproductive role there are only two sexes because it takes two to have reproduction takes sperm and ovum. It takes male and female. That's all there is. And so you can have variations in terms of what women's bodies look like or men's bodies look like. It does not change the fact that there are only two sexes because sex is your organization towards reproduction. And I think partly because of contraception, mm. people sort of got used to thinking of sex and, and sexed bodies as being all just about sexual pleasure. And, and they've We've, as a culture, kind of forgotten that sex in, in biology and in nature 
has to do with that reproductive role. Yes. It's not just the church saying that. It's that's that's just the nature of things. And so gender ideology comes out and says, no, we've got a different vision of the person. The person is self-defining. You decide who you are. And you don't, it doesn't have to align with your body. Your body's kind of this thing to be used or this this canvas that you get to express yourself through. Whereas the church teaches the the person is created forever from the moment of conception, male or female. And, yeah. and, and it's that unity of body and soul. So your sex never changes. It cannot change over the course of yeah. your life. Uh, it seems like our culture is really drifting into dangerous waters, right? It's a dangerous road that we're driving down. And uh, how can we, um, as a church, you know, tell the truth uh and don't seem like we're discriminating toward these people that are having these difficulties regarding their gender identity. Yeah, so I think one is, is just just like Pope Francis's example, treat people kindly. You know, the church is, is arms wide open to people, but the church is arms wide open with an eye towards helping people move towards the truth, right? We don't want to walk with someone if they're going to walk over a cliff. You want, you want to pull them back and you want to, you know, help point them in the right direction. And so in the same way, when someone is struggling with an identity issue, they need to know that you love them and that you affirm their dignity as a human being, fundamentally as a son or daughter of God. And that whatever they're experiencing in terms of a disconnect between body and self-perception, that that's something that can be worked out. But you cannot run away from the truth of who you are. And, and yet for our children, especially through the public schools, uh, and New Jersey has, has a new mandate of, of teaching some very explicit stuff uh, in the public schools, which is where most Catholic kids are. You know, kids are unfortunately going to be learning a false idea about themselves, that sex is not not significant. In other words, what matters is they're feeling that gender identity mm-hmm. and that they can then change the body however they want to, to match their feelings. And yet that's a leads to a lifetime of serious health consequences, mental health, high suicide rate, all this. In other words, it's not good for the human person, even if you thought it were somehow true. But fundamentally, it's just not the it's living living a lie. It's like Yeah. You know that par- that story, the emperor's new clothes. Everyone pretended the emperor was wearing <laughs> clothes as he's marching down and saying, right. "Look at me." Well, in some respects, when we when we are asked to affirm or validate someone's desired identity as being opposite from from their given sex or as being something other than their sex, we're being asked to be that crowd mm-hmm. to cheer and pretend. That's exactly the way it is. And yet we don't do that individual any favor. We can be kind, we can be loving, but we need to affirm the truth. And especially with young people, because I've worked with a lot of families who've gone through this. And oftentimes these kids are looking to adults, they're questioning, they're trying to figure themselves out. And if, a, if an adult sort of shrugs and says, well, yeah, maybe you're, you know, you're born female, you're my daughter, but okay, maybe you are a boy. That's confusing because adults need to be helping a child make sense of the world. In other words, pointing them towards the truth, helping to to blow away the fog machine when, yeah. when they're confused. And so adults need to affirm 
the truth about the person. And that's that we're, we're male and female yep. from the moment of conception. And, and it doesn't change. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, I, I, I think uh, we've become afraid of just telling the truth. You know, we're afraid to really uh, share uh, where the truth lies. And uh, really, uh, sharing the truth is loving that person the most. Um, and uh, we just have to become, uh, get the courage to be able to do that when we speak with people. Listen, Mary, thank you so much for uh, sharing this time with us. It's been very informative, uh, affirming uh, to me the importance of your work. And uh, God bless you and in, in, in all that you do. Well, thank you. And I'll just leave you with um, a website, personandidentity.com. We're about to launch this website on gender ideology to help people in the church understand the issues, but also people in parishes and dioceses and schools to have some some tools, some materials to help educate uh, the families and, and staff that they're working with. So that's personandidentity.com. So thank you for all that you are doing and God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you, Mary. So we have come yet to another ending of our podcast. I am glad that you joined us today. It's been fun and it's been encouraging for all of us to build our faith together. I want to remind you to please share this with others. The more people that know about our work, the more souls our Lord can save. I want to thank our donors and supporters. You can become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Also, stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we can keep you engaged through music, videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff to share with you all. And also, a quick reminder, we do the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 p.m. So please join us as we pray with the Universal Church. Our guest next time will be Father Angelus Montgomery from the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. He is awesome, and you got to join us for this one. So thanks for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.